Welcome to the Global Market Outlook 2023 brought to you by RBC Capital Markets. In this audio cast, you'll hear insights from Lindsay Patrick, our Head of Strategic Initiatives and ESG, Vito Sperduto, Co-Head of Global M&A, and Nitin Babar, Global Co-Head of Equity Capital Markets, as they talk about the outlook for ESG in the year ahead. Lindsay, let's talk a little bit about the reporting requirements and the evolution of the regulatory framework for ESG. Uh, Things have transformed over the last number of years in many ways. Uh, What are your thoughts on that topic? Thanks, Nitin. There is no question we've seen a tremendous amount of progress uh, on the reporting front, first and foremost. Uh, A year ago, we had the announcement of the creation of the International Sustainability Standards Board. That is in full operation now, and we expect uh, adoption by certain some regulators into 2023. Uh, The progress that we're seeing is translating into tangible benefits in terms of not only the breadth of issuers who are now reporting on ESG metrics, but also the depth and the quality of the metrics that they are disclosing. And that is tremendously helpful for us from a sustainable finance perspective, particularly when we are integrating uh, targets on some of these metrics into financial structures. That being said, it's far from perfect. Uh, And when we execute a sustainability-linked loan or a sustainability-linked bond, uh, almost never do we find that the disclosed information is sufficient to embed in a financial structure. We need to do further engagement with the issuer. We need to dig deeper into the data and understand the underlying methodology uh, that is being developed. Uh, And there still is very little basis for comparability. And I think that will be the key focus uh, in the year ahead. Yeah, Lindsay, from a corporate client perspective, one of the challenges we're seeing is that there's a fairly polarized environment out there in terms of how governmental entities on both sides of the the aisle are looking at it. And one of the, the issues that's being caused right now is that I think clients are trying to figure out how to balance the way that they do their reporting and how much emphasis they put on this issue. Um, We've clearly seen in in the U.S. certain states' attorney generals um, pursue some financial institutions that have made clear directives around reductions in investments with companies that are to try to limit greenhouse gas emission for coal and natural gas companies. And in those cases, I think it's become a bit political. And I think, you know, like any other political issue, I think companies are trying to stay away from that from a business perspective. At the same time, I think they're trying to listen to their constituents who are looking for these initiatives to be something that they talk about. So uh, we're finding it to be a bit difficult with some of our corporate clients in terms of how they're balancing that, especially when they're operating across multiple geographies um, and where there's different regimes. And so I think some alignment of what these measures are, I think, and how it's reported is going to be helpful to a number of our clients. Yeah, Vito, I'd add a couple of things. Uh, The market is looking, the investors in the market are looking for something that is comparable, but recognize that it can't be comparable in all circumstances. So I I think some of the key progressions in terms of disclosure and and, uh, uh, what the market has really been happy to see is independent verification uh, of some of the disclosures that are within these corporate documents. Um, But also very importantly is a company is there to do what they say they're going to do. Uh, 
and the liability associated with making outsized claims as to what they can achieve um, is something that is now dawning on investors as being a potential not only reputational liability, but also Mm -hmm. financial liability. It's a good point, and I, I would say to address that, it's really important that ESG metrics take a lens of financial materiality and that issuers and corporates are reporting metrics that are material to their financial bottom line, not only their corporate social responsibility bottom line. The other approach that I think is really important to keep in mind is how the ISSB is set up, and I think where most of our investors go is that they understand that there are factors and ESG metrics that are weighted differently by sector. So it's very hard to compare a high-emitting sector, for example, with a low-emitting sector. And the ESG drivers of those businesses are different as well. And I think further standardization, bringing Mm -hmm. that sector materiality lens, will really help provide that clarity to help navigate that difficult environment you're talking about. Yeah, I think that I'm going to be curious to see how this plays out, Um, especially the clients that we're seeing who are really taking this to heart and are most successful on this front. This is just a natural part of what they do, mm-hmm. right? They are already doing these programs. They're already operating in this fashion. They see all of this as good for business long term. They see you know, better opportunities for themselves. They're expanding the definition of their markets. I think they're, you know, on, on the S&G front, they're getting incredibly higher retention rates for their employees in a very difficult job environment at times uh, in terms of finding people. And so I think that... You know, these are part of what they're doing. Now, the difficulty for them is going to be what are the metrics that they're reporting and are they natural to how they operate their businesses? Mm-hmm. Uh, because if they're just purely doing programs to try to meet a specific measurement, I think that becomes difficult. And so it just kind of speaks to how this is, it's going to be really important as to what gets set out mm-hmm. and um, how everybody you know, measures it and, and does the comparison. On the G side, the public market is mixed, though. They like split boards. They do like independent, um, largely independent boards, uh, audit committees, compensation committees, and and all the best practices from a board construction. Uh, On the multi-vote structures, the jury's still out. And as the market has uh, sold off this year, I think they feel a bit more emboldened. Uh, We didn't see many IPOs this year, but uh, I think people might have pushed back a bit more in a position of power. But on a go-forward basis, that's still something that is is dependent upon market conditions in terms of their acceptance of such structures. Mm -hmm. The tension will be there. I think that's right. I I do think, Nitin, though, on, on the G side, if I think about the public markets, you are seeing some of the largest asset managers trying to democratize the voting system by allowing individual holders in their funds to have a separate vote with their ownership interests versus it just being voted as a fund. And so I think, you know, look, if I think about that, the asset managers are doing that for a couple of reasons. One, I think they don't want to be seen as driving the vote themselves, and it puts less of a bullseye on their back by saying it's the shareholders in their funds that are making the vote. And two, I think long-term, it provides them an opportunity to attract a larger base of, of, uh, of investors. If you think about some of the largest uh, LPs or the, um, the different pension funds that are putting dollars into these global asset managers, um, they certainly want to have a say as to how their uh, dollars get voted. It's an evolution in the asset manager model, which frankly I think is really exciting because one of the value propositions is certainly sort of the collective power 
um, of, of one organization voting together, but equally providing that avenue for direct engagement is incredibly powerful in today's day and age where frankly, investors have uh, different agendas and different ESG topic items that are important to them. One thing on the governance file that I think is really interesting is the ESG data providers that we speak with now are looking to quantify corporate culture and mm. corporate behavior. So, you know, one of the reasons why I think the environmental piece and the C or the climate uh, piece or the emissions piece uh, was so readily integrated because it was easy to quantify. And we're now looking at things, whether it be controversies, management pay, for example, employee engagement surveys that are giving investors as well as other stakeholders yeah. a broader lens into what is the underlying corporate culture of an institution and are there sufficient proof points to say that uh, it's really walking the talk. Lindsay, what, what advice are you giving corporate boards as it relates to what disclosure they give out in terms of what their targets are? Uh, how far out on the limb can they go with those things and how do you manage that practically? Yeah, so I think the reality of the situation is now certainly for us as a bank, most investors and financial institutions are using, I'll say, ESG data in some form or another. Yeah in all of our investment processes. So my advice to boards is, we're using data, it's better that it comes from you, and you're telling us from an accurate perspective, perhaps even audited perspective, what that data is, instead of the alternative, which oftentimes can be uh, modeled data and assumed data that might not even be directionally correct, to be frank. So that's my number one advice to boards is, you are better telling your own story, releasing your own data, and be confident, have it audited, that it relates back to truly the activities that you're undertaking, if possible. And very importantly, engage with your investors to see what they want. Um, yes. Some of your leading investors will have views. They have teams that do this, and they'll want a certain level of disclosure. Listen to them um, and incorporate that into the disclosure documents. And then on the piece of target setting, I think, again, what stakeholders really want is less a specific number, I'm going to hit this earnings per share on a quarterly basis, and more, uh, this is my longer-term vision for my company, yeah. and this is the ambition I'm setting myself in order to frame that pathway to get there. Most uh, financial stakeholders really want date, you know, targets that extend no longer than 2030. That's longer than the yep. life cycle of most management teams that we work with, and I think you know has to be grounded in reality to some extent. And certainly when we speak specifically to fixed income investors that are looking to buy sustainability-linked bonds, yep. they would like to see KPIs that are built with coupon thresholds that are done within that you know, five to seven year time window. I think it's much more about this being ingrained in the culture and fabric of the company versus any specific target at the end of the day. I think you have to have targets, but certainly you want people performing in a certain way, operating in a certain way, so that there is a path when you get beyond those targets. And I think that's what you know I'm finding clients are looking for, especially when they're trying to develop the plan as to you know, what targets they're looking at, what businesses maybe want the best. At the end of the day, it's about alignment. Strategy is about alignment, and how do you get an organization to move in the same direction uh, and you need to set a North Star with regard to ESG metrics, just yeah. as you have to set to your financial metrics and your operating metrics. And, and credibility is critical. I mean, you're not judge quarter after quarter. There you are in earnings. But these, these events that you are talking to about in the future, you have to make sure that you are making progress towards that. So I think it's really 
important to be careful and not be conservative, but be careful and make yes. sure that what you can put out there and what you do put out there are things that you genuinely are yes. ready to commit to. And that you have plans behind. Yeah. You can't be setting targets for activities that you don't have robust plans behind them, yeah. don't have the people in place, the structures in place, the capital in place in order to achieve them. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.